Hello and welcome to the Alcohol Alert, brought to you by the Institute of Alcohol Studies. On this month's podcast, we focus on a new report by IAS and the University of Liverpool, which looked at how closure of on-trade outlets during pandemic restrictions affected alcohol-related violence. We spoke to the authors Lucy Bryant, a senior researcher at IAS, and Dr Carly Lightowlers, a senior lecturer in criminology at the University of Liverpool. We asked them what their study looked at. This significant body of literature that has shown that as opportunities to purchase alcohol uh, in space and in time increase in an area, so do levels of violence. And while it's fairly straightforward to connect alcohol sold in sites like pubs and bars um, with violent incidents because the alcohol is consumed on the same site where the violence might take place, uh, it's more difficult to do the same um, with the off-trade. So alcohol purchased in supermarkets, for example, is not drunk there. It's taken away, it's drunk at home, it's drunk at other leisure locations, it's maybe drunk before you attend the nighttime economy. Um, so it's harder to link violence that that alcohol might contribute to back to the, the, to the sale location. So we realised that the restrictions that came in around the COVID-19 pandemic meant that there had been big periods of time in which bars and pubs were not able to trade. So all of the alcohol sold in England at that time would be coming from the off trade. So we thought this is a great opportunity to look at how violence and alcohol related violence changed um, during this period, to also have a look at domestic violence and alcohol related domestic violence as well and see what can that tell us about the contribution of the availability of off-trade alcohol in in normal time. So Carly what are the main sort of headline findings of the study? So we found that average monthly alcohol related violence rates were higher when on-licensed premises were open as opposed to closed. Uh, We also found that uh, in months when on trade was was closed, that the proportion of violence recorded as alcohol-related fell slightly. So there were fewer incidents per month per police force areas in those months where the on-trade was closed. And finally, we found, interestingly, that on-trade closures didn't change um, the levels or the proportion of alcohol-related domestic violence over the study period. When pubs and bars were closed during COVID-19, total levels of alcohol-related violence fell, which is to be expected because that represents um, a significant drop in the physical availability of alcohol. However, when you look at the proportion of alcohol-related violence um, when those sites were closed, it dipped only slightly. And what that told us is that the contribution of alcohol sold in supermarkets and shops um, to violence is is comparable to that of the alcohol that's coming from from pubs and other sites like that. So although this doesn't necessarily represent an alcohol market operating under kind of normal conditions, what we can take away is that we need to seriously consider the off-trade when we're talking about violence. Taking a step back a bit, and Lucy sort of briefly touched on the connection between 
the availability of alcohol and violence. Carly, what, what do we know about the link between availability and the rates of violence regarding the on and off trade sale of alcohol? Yeah, um, so I think Lucy nicely touched on the fact that international evidence does point to an association between that alcohol availability and violence. And there's quite a strong and consistent evidence base internationally that suggests on-trade availability, so pubs, clubs, bars, those sorts of venues, can be related with violence. But um, it is more difficult to disentangle an association with the off-trade and the evidence around that is a little bit more mixed for the reasons that that Lucy um, outlined previously. Also, sometimes in um, studies of availability, um, aggregate volumes of crime or, or violence are looked at uh, as, as a whole. Um, and what we've done here, which is, is, is less common in, in most studies, is also tease out what's happening around domestic violence, which tends to be less commonly um, investigated, but of course was of, of, of concern, especially during the pandemic. Yeah, so with domestic violence, Lucy, the, you sh- showed in your um, study that actually the alcohol-related domestic violence incidents barely really changed at all. Does this suggest that untrade availability has very little to do with domestic violence? Uh, I don't think that our findings necessarily suggest that. I think what it points to is the really significant role that that off-trade alcohol sales might play in those kind of incidents. Because as I mentioned, there was a slight dip in the proportion of overall violence that was alcohol-related, but there was no dip in the proportion of domestic violence which was alcohol-related. So our overall findings tell us we really need to consider the the off-trade, but they they really point us to that conclusion when we're thinking about domestic violence. And we previously, along with others, have called for a, a greater consideration of, of the off-trade as, as, a, as a contributor to those kinds of incidents and to violence in, in the home, which is often a lot less visible. So hopefully these, these findings can contribute to our thinking around around that and our recommendations for policymakers. Yeah, we can get to sort of your recommendations for policymakers. In terms of the domestic violence, uh, the rates of domestic violence not falling at all, was this because there, the period that you studied also included periods where the on-trade was open? Because it obviously happened in phases during the pandemic. There was yeah, I mean, the first time basically everything was closed and then it's sort of the next few times when there were restrictions, it was a bit different sort of geographically um, and there was sort of time restrictions and things like that. Is is that the reason that domestic violence can't, sorry, is that the reason why we can't distribute the domestic violence incidents to at-home drinking solely because of this, these different phases? So uh, just to mention a bit about our design, essentially we divided the year before, during and after uh, the COVID-19 pandemic into months. And we looked at the restrictions that were in place in in any given month on the on-trade. And as you mentioned, sometimes that was complete closure. So it was a lockdown. Um, So there were no sites open at all. Sometimes it was um, a closure of a really significant proportion of on-trade sites. Uh, so, for example, the times when you were only able to open if you had outdoor space, for example, 
But all of the months um, that we identified as months of closure um, represented really significant falls in on-trade availability. So I don't think that our I don't think that our finding around domestic violence is related to to the design in that way. Um, because like I say, there was a difference between um our findings around domestic violence and our findings around alcohol-related violence overall. And they were obviously both subject to the same design. I think um our our study comes after a, a kind of long history of investigation of alcohol availability and violence. And while the kind of mechanisms behind why on-trade availability might contribute to domestic violence versus why off-trade availability might, because obviously in the off-trade, you're purchasing alcohol to drink at home, whereas in the on-trade, you're drinking in another location and then maybe you're heading home. Um, I don't think there's been any evidence to suggest that the on-trade is not problematic in terms of its contribution to domestic violence. Obviously, the violence that's traditionally associated with the on-trade is nighttime economy stranger violence because that's what's happening in and around those spaces and, and we're seeing it and policymakers are able to see it. Um, but I, I don't think there's anything in our findings to suggest that we shouldn't be concerned about the on-trade. It's more kind of highlighting um, the role of the off-trade. And kind of on that note, in terms of highlighting the off-trade, Carly, reading the report, I was surprised that there wasn't a bigger reduction in alcohol-related violence. Are there other factors that could have affected violence rates during the the period, the COVID-19 period? Uh, Yes, absolutely. I mean, like any study, ours um, suffers from some inherent limitations and our findings need to be treated with some caution as well. not least because, of course, um, during the pandemic, many things changed, not just alcohol availability. Um, So whilst the on-trade was, you know, at times, which we we, we look at in the study, sort of switched off, so to speak, um, there were a range of other things going on that caused a lot of sort of uh, social, economic and emotional upheaval in people's lives. People's contact was restricted. People were perhaps socialising in smaller groups, confined to their homes um, with said groups um, and may have lost jobs or suffered from grief, these sorts of things that may have may have influenced uh, behaviour in many different ways, which we're unable to control for in this study. So we're not suggesting in any way that our findings would be the same should we tomorrow just shut down all the pubs and clubs. Rather, we are kind of identifying that even when the pubs were shut, the on-trade was shut, you know, there was still a sizable proportion of the alcohol-related violence that remained, especially when it comes to domestic violence. And I think, as Lucy mentioned before, um, this is particularly interesting because a lot of the policy intervention speaks around kind of uh, licensing in the the on-trade and policing in nighttime economy districts where... Um, those sorts of venues might be kind of densely clustered, um, but there is kind of less talk and less intervention focused on how the um, off-trade might be contributing to violence, and especially that violence that is, as Lucy mentioned before, hid, more hidden and perhaps occurs uh, in, a, in a domestic setting. So we know, also know that during the pandemic, uh, drinking patterns changed. And generally what we sort of say is that people who are drinking low or moderate amounts either sort of drank the same or a bit less and people who are drinking heavier amounts 
drank continued to drink heavier amounts and that's one of the reasons why we've seen this these quite shocking rises in alcohol related um alcohol specific deaths how do we think about that in connection to alcohol related violence is that another potential limitation of the study yes i think that's that's really interesting and of course our study can't kind of look into under the hood at what's happening in each and every household um and uh, amongst each other because of its sort of yeah, the unit of analysis being kind of a big police force area. But I think, you know, the rise in alcohol-specific um, deaths was um, of interest and kind of also it raises other questions about what other kind of harms might be associated with alcohol drinking in the home um, and that that, that off-trade consumption of which we identify, you know, this is still going on um, even when um, you can find people to just drinking at home. Of course, drinking patterns and social interactions will have potentially also shifted and increased drinking in the home might have caused strain on domestic relationships and things like that. Um, but I think um, the takeaway is still the same, you know, that there's still potentially some merit in addressing off-trade alcohol availability to limit a range of harms uh, that happen, you know, both visible and, and less visible. Yeah, definitely. And Lucy, you discussed in the report that much of police time and the development of um, violence uh, reduction interventions focus on the on-trade. And you've mentioned it a couple of times today. How would you like to see policymakers proceed in order to more accurately reflect how the availability of alcohol um, affects violent incident rates? Yeah, I think it is important to think about the licensing system um that's in place in England and Wales and the opportunities there to to tackle this driver of violence so as many listeners are probably aware if uh, an application for a new premise comes into a licensing authority um the presumption is that it's granted and local um groups like the police and other bodies and also members of the public can lob- can lodge objections um to any application but those objections cannot include uh the fact that they feel their local area is already overserved in terms of alcohol availability so you can't object to a new supermarket that's going to be serving alcohol for long hours simply because there are already multiple other sites that are serving in and around your area really that that kind of ties people's hands because that's our main mechanism um for for addressing alcohol availability and one thing that might improve the licensing system is if a public health objective was added which could be crafted in such a way as to allow people to say actually look my local area already has this much availability and adding additional opportunities to purchase alcohol is going to lead to increased violence, increased health harms, uh, increased um, social harms as well. As as you mentioned, the nighttime economy and the response to that has um, probably been driven by by its visibility. And I think it's, it's really important that we think about what are the levers we can pull that aren't going to tackle violence after it's happened, but are actually going to potentially, you know, reduce its severity or reduce its frequency before it even occurs. And I think the licensing system is the site to do that. An interesting time that we're speaking about this, because only a few days ago was the Women's World Cup final. And a lot of the news around that over the past few days has been been from industry figures saying that 
um, the licensing laws need to be relaxed so that uh, pubs essentially can uh, serve alcohol earlier because um, some said that it was a shame that they couldn't sell alcohol before 11 a.m. Um, so it's interesting that it's sort of the media narrative has been much more about relaxing it when you're talking, I guess, a bit more about not necessarily restricting it, but giving licensing authorities the tools to be able to restrict it. Who Who is it that would be given those tools? Would it be um, local authorities? Uh, yeah, so at the moment, it's an objection can be lodged to an application um, from a range of different bodies known as responsible authorities. And the licensing authority is one of those bodies. So are the police and um, trading standards, things like that, but also the public can lodge objections. So if we if we made it so that uh, an objection about, you know, like local availability could be could be considered, then it would be empowering all of those groups. And I think it's really important when we think about the public because Carly and I have also done work that has shown that it's the lower socioeconomic groups that experience alcohol-related violence at, at the highest rates. And other researchers have shown in multiple locations that uh, alcohol availability is highest in lower socioeconomic areas. So it's a tool like this, an amendment to the Licensing Act like this, could not just help reduce violence, which is obviously a good thing, but it could help reduce those inequalities as well. And I think people should be able to have more of a say over what um, what what their neighbourhood looks like, you know. And I think I think it it, it it's an an amendment that would, as you say, impact lots of different bodies. But it's the public would also really benefit. We should think a little bit more about how you know we can harness the tools for you know kind of public health intervention to reduce crime crime and violence um, in, a, in, a, in a meaningful way and address those sort of systematic inequalities that persist in, in crime more generally as well. These are these are also concentrate, problems concentrated in lower socioeconomic groups. Uh, domestic violence, of course, disproportionately concentrated uh, amongst uh, women and, and girls potentially. Um, so, you know, again, to be able to protect people from harm in those domestic settings, um, it would be important. And so I just think that whilst, of course, it's easier to perhaps intervene in nighttime economy settings, given it's a public space, and obviously policing, you know, patrols and things like that can happen in those spaces, it is a bit more challenging for crime prevention to sort of start to think about how they might intervene in in those sort of more hidden problems, but let's to, to start to, to think more creatively, perhaps, about it not just being a, alcohol-related violence, not just being a problem, of public nighttime economy violence. Just following from what Carly said, I think the the great thing about thinking about alcohol availability is that it's a violence prevention measure. So it's it's a prevention measure. So it's not that we're responding to violence that's already taken place. We actually have the opportunity to lower rates of violence and to potentially lower the severity of the violent incidents that do take place. Um, and I think that's what's really important to consider, especially when you're weighing it up against interventions that are maybe more reactive. This is this is something really powerful that that local authorities and other policymakers could could really harness. That is all for this month. Thank you for listening, and we hope you can join us in next month's podcast.